Hi, I'm Lauren Stiving, and welcome to this episode of the Career Success Podcast. Today, we'll be taking a deep dive into the retail industry. We will be joined by Bob Phibbs. He is an internationally recognized business strategist, customer service expert, sales coach, marketing mentor, author of three books, and a motivational business speaker. In 1994, Bob Phibbs started his retail consultancy company, The Retail Doctor. His clients include some of the largest retail brands in the world, including Lego, Omega, Vera Bradley, and Yamaha. He has been named one of the top retail influencers of 2018 and a top voice on LinkedIn. He has appeared on ABC, Fox, MSNBC, and he and his work have been featured in articles in The Entrepreneur, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. Welcome, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you for joining us. So we opened up some questions to our audience on social media. Um, So we have a lot to cover today, which I'm very excited about, and some burning questions from their side. Before we start, I see that from your LinkedIn, it says that you're helping brick-and-mortar retailers beat online competition by creating exceptional experiences. So looking forward to digging deeper on that. One question that I'd like to start off with is around purpose-led brands, that they're really all the rage now. It's a real hot topic across the retail industry. How do you think you can show that you're a purpose-led brand from in-store, both from the retailer side or as well from a packaged goods side? (laughs) And... In two sentences, please give us the right answer, the magic answer. All I would say is, yes, purpose-led brands are the rage. I think there's a lot of marketing speak that goes into it, and it's putting this face on a brand. I look at it that a purpose-led brand should be what attracts the right people to your store to work there. That's its main mission for me is people who share that, like Patagonia, like Lululemon, several others who get it. Their purpose is clear. That lets the employees understand, oh, so this is what we're about. It helps them choose the right person and then ultimately helps that brand engage the employee because the employee is ultimately who engages the customer. And, you know, selling is nothing more than a transference of feeling. So that's how you show it is because of the people that you have working in you. I think putting a little sign up on your back wall, we're sustainable and we're doing all of this stuff. I think it gets a little look at us, look at us. I was in the Levi store in Soho recently and um, it was interesting. At the very front, I saw they by the counter, you could recycle your jeans, you know, you put them in there. But what was interesting is when I went to try on a pair of pants, all the hangers, just a little sign on the inside of the hanger says, these are all made from recycled denim. And I was like, well, that's really an interesting design cue that they ended up doing. So I think every brand's a little different, but I honestly believe you've got to take it out of the marketing speak and be able to live it. And then I think people see it, they sense it, they're attracted to it, not only to shop, but also particularly to work there. Yeah. Do you think purpose-led brands is anything new? Because a part of me thinks that some of the greatest brands, let's say, throughout history have been purpose-led anyway. It's just, let's say, more at the forefront of discussion. Well, it's funny you say that because I think there's an awful lot of brands out there right now that think they have a purpose and therefore they're better than somebody else. And at the end of the day, you look at their numbers and they're not selling at all. And if it wasn't for VCs, we wouldn't even know who they are. So I think purpose 
driven brands have limits. And to your point, I think they all have been. But let's just not forget, a business exists to make a profit. That's your mission statement. That To me, that's your purpose. Anything else, you're kidding yourself. You know, I can have the prettiest store. I can have the best employees. I can have the most exclusive merchandise. But if nobody buys it, that's not a business. That's a hobby. So mm-hmm. it's really important we make that distinction because it is about, did someone convert and give you money for that product? If enough don't, it's not the customer's fault and it's not going to be because you've got a purpose statement. It's ultimately because you didn't connect with a customer. And that's what I think an awful lot of retailers just seem to want to turn their head and say, oh, but you know, we have comfy couches for everybody to sit in and we're giving out events and we've got all these freebies. It's like, yeah, but are you profitable? Well, no, not yet. Well, when are you? Well, we've been in business only two years. Well, by two years, you know, you should know. Are yeah. we are we going to make money or not? So I'm sure. very shy and retiring on opinions, just so you know, Lauren. It's very <laughs> hard for me to, to, to have opinions. No, that's, that's fine. Thank <laughs> you. And looking at in-store execution, what do you think that good in-store execution looks like today? You know, it's interesting. I, I was, again, I just came back from the National Retail Federation about a week ago. And what I discovered in all of my store tours and everything is it seems the footwear retailers get it. I mean, I went into the Nike store and, you know, store design is great, but the employees are well-trained and they are looking up. I went into Converse and, you know, they all seem to have an aversion of personalization and customization. And the young woman couldn't have been nicer. I didn't realize Converse had been there for so long. I hadn't seen it. I go into the Adidas store, beautiful store. Woman just walks up to me. She's like, you look lost. And I said, yeah, I don't want to make the mistake of looking at the women's clothes. The men's are up, right? She goes, absolutely. So I went up, the people were nice. They were engaged. They were curious about the customers. That's what great retail is right now. Rotten retail is people standing around behind the counter waiting for someone to come up to them and do an asked and answered. Hi, can you help me? Uh, yes. I'm looking for a red shirt. Oh, do you have a budget? Oh, you know, something around $40. We don't have anything like that. <laughs> oh, uh, do you have it? Oh, we well, could go online. Here's our tablet. You could, you know, we could ship it to your house. And it's this whole kind of a dismissive feeling when you're in a lot of brick and mortar retailers and the smart mm-hmm. ones really understand what does engagement feel like, what does it look like, and ultimately have crafted a branded shopping experience that is duplicatable from one store to another. I think Rituals, I think, is amazing brand. They're out of Netherlands. I went, in, yeah, I went, yeah. I went by one of their stores. I had a horrible experience at a designer boutique in, uh, in one of the best malls on the East Coast. And the employee literally stood there in the middle of the store looking out without saying a word as people walked by for like five or 10 minutes. I mean, I was livid. I even told the guy, you're the worst salesman I've ever had in retail. <laughs> and then I left and I went and had lunch and I thought, all right, this is bad karma. I went back and I told the guy, all right, I'm really sorry. But I said, you are the worst person I've ever done. And he goes, I'm really sorry. And I said, well, you know, who else could help? He goes, I'm here all alone today. And I looked, he had merchandise that had come in stuff he was supposed to get out for online orders and he'd shut down. And so I looked at that brand like, well, you're the ones that are responsible for this. I mean, don't get me wrong. That kid certainly didn't have the right social skills. So a couple hours later, I'm walking around the mall and I go by this cosmetic store. And what I noticed there, this big, beautiful, like hydrangea tree right in the middle. And yeah. I was like, wow, smart design. I mean, it caught your attention. It's spotlit. And this woman's right at the front. 
And she goes, oh, you should come in. I said, no, I don't use skincare. I've got my skincare routine down, you know. And she's like, <laughs> well, where are you from? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm upstate. But I said, you know, I'm tired. I've been at the mall all day. It's like the week before Christmas. And she goes, well, why don't you come in and have a cup of tea before the long drive? And I was like, all right. She had me at a low. Fine. So I go in. <laughs> $125 later, she's sold me this skincare, which is great. And then invites me to write a note for their customers to hang on their hydrangea tree. What's your wishes for other people shopping in the store? Great brand. So then I'm packing this with a buddy of mine who's who does training. And he said, you know what they do that's so different is when you get hired, as soon as you get hired, you're on an app. And you're learning about each of your employees you're going to be working with in the next two weeks and what they like and what they don't like and about the products and the brand store. And I was like, that's how you win. Yeah. Because everybody's aligned. You respect your employees. They can deliver. They're encouraged to deliver. And there's a really tight brand focus. You know, it wasn't like buy one, get one free and 30% off this weekend. It's like, no, we're a premium brand. We're going to be ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And I think that's possible no matter what you do. You know, if your average check is $4 as a cup of coffee to fine dining to luxury retail, if you don't solve that, engaging the employees before they can possibly engage the customers, then I think you are going to be struggling mightily. Sure. And let's switch a bit to discuss another hot topic, which is, let's say, online and e-commerce. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give retailers which are intimidated by online and e-commerce? Well, two points. One, we are going to be moving to the new idea of unified commerce. This is what Alibaba has done in China. It's what they have pioneered that you can be in the store, you can be on an app, you can be on a website, you can be at a catalog, you can be an Instagram. It's all one checkout basket. And that's huge because the shopper can go across all of these and it becomes one channel. And that's mm-hmm. why they call it unified commerce. So maybe you're afraid of it or you are worried. It doesn't matter. That's where we're going because customers don't want to have to check out separately on your app or on Facebook because then when they go into a store, they don't have any of that transparency. So that's where we're going. But as far as being intimidated by online or e-commerce, you should be, most of you, because you have treated the customer as disposable for generations. And the customer is saying, you know what? I'm not going to roll the dice and go into your brick and mortar stores. I'm going to stay away until I find something better. If you're intimidated, it means you also know that your customer service is a little more than asked and answered. And in this day and age, you can't have a brick and mortar store that's essentially a warehouse for a bunch of products because, you know, 70%, Lauren, of what you carry in one store, I can get from somebody else. So all you have is the customer experience. That's it. That's all you can trade on. And so, you know, buy online, pick up in store is also huge. Why? Because a customer doesn't want to have to roll the dice and go down, you know, I'm go back to my red shirt. That's what they want. So if they know you have it, then they're more likely to buy more. In fact, buy online, pick up in store. I think the add-ons is somewhere in the 40 to 50% region, which it took me a while to get my head around that all they're trying to solve is a customer not being disappointed. Mm -hmm. So what that means for a retailer is you better have transparency in your inventory. You better make sure that your POS system can handle it and can really know if we have three in stock, 
because nobody likes that, right? You order it online and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we'll ship it tomorrow. And then like five minutes later, oh, we're out of that. We're awaiting stock. Nobody wants that. So that's where we're going. And you have to realize that brick and mortar exists in the discovery phase. And what do I mean by that? Because people go out and shop at a brick and mortar store because they want something. They don't know what it is, but they go to the mall or the high street or in U.S. in the main street and 60% are in consideration phase. I want something. I don't know what it's going to be. So they're curious, but they don't know what it is. 30% are in consideration. I was half watching Game of Thrones. I'm on my iPad. Do I want this washer or another? I want. To, I have to go in and see it. Do I want it in the plum? Do I want it in the white? So I got to go see it. And 10% have already decided, like the guy with the red shirt. I want a red shirt, 1633. Well, here's the thing. Most retailers treat all customers like they're in that last buying part of decision, which is only mm-hmm. about 10% of people. Most people are in consideration. They don't know what they want. So when you ask them something stupid, like, can I help you find something? They all answer what? No, because they aren't looking for some special thing like that red shirt. They're just looking for something. And so the smart retailers understand that brick and mortar provides what online by design can't. And that's a feeling. And people who feel they matter buy more. And so if your store is struggling, if your brand is struggling, I will guarantee you dollars to donuts that people feel nothing when they go in or actually feel more alone, more stressed, or more worried from having encountered your brand. And nobody wants to repeat that. So you look at the smart ones like, a Lululemon. You look at the smart ones like a Starbucks roastery. You look at rituals. You look at the brands who have really figured this out and said, okay, it's got to be different when you walk in here. That's a long answer to a short yeah, question. Yeah, no, Sorry, no. Laura. Thank you for that. I was going to ask, what, what do you think is the best thing to do? I would imagine it's not asking them a question. Good afternoon. That's all you have to say. Good morning. People will say, oh, good morning back, or, or they'll say thank you. Isn't that a better way to start than to say something stupid like, how are you today? Do you really care how I am, Lauren? <laughs> Be honest. <laughs> well, maybe no. if, if it was the no. first person I saw, but no. probably not after no. the 50th person I saw. You don't. So then we get in this stupid robot dance, Lauren. Hi, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Meanwhile, that phone is going to cluck or cheep or do something and take their attention away. And frankly, most of us are going to end up with a you know, an aging parent, a kid in rehab, something, financial stress, a friend who's going through some health crisis, and you're expecting them to lie and say, oh, everything is just fine here. Why even go down that road? Because I could just as easily have said to you, Lauren, oh, you know, I was walking around the mall and I got this blister on my heel and it's bleeding into my sock and it's sticking (laughs) to, do you want to hear any of that? Of course not. So why ask it. And that's why I am a sales trainer for some of the best brands in the world, because they understand it's all about conversions and add-ons. And that's what makes the difference. You have a branded structure, just like, you know, a Broadway musical has it, a movie, a book. They all have a structure of how they come together. Same thing with a ball game. You know, the Yankees fan, you don't put all the guys on all the bases and then say, and now hit. I mean, there's a process. And if you don't have it, the game doesn't work. The movie doesn't work. And it's the same thing in a sale. So you really have to understand how do I build rapport with someone who doesn't like me, probably doesn't even want to trust me. How do I get them over that? And then how I get to discover the needs that they've got. And then finally, 
how do I make them a customer and get them everything they need for the project, not just the one thing that they might have asked for? And you know what? That lifts average sales by anywhere from 3 to 13% in three months. And I'll tell you, most brands would give their eye teeth to do that. But when you tell them it's going to come down to training, they poo-poo it and like, oh yeah, training, it's hard to qualify. We, uh, you know, we've tried training and you have to change the culture to say training is something we do, not something we did. Yeah. And if we don't do that, I think then you end up having people say it's hopeless. And then you're worried about online because you really aren't doing the hard work, which is how do I hire the right people who are passionate about my brand, who can represent my purpose and who can follow this in a way that feels totally natural and converts. And when you do that, you got a powerful retail brand. I encourage you, if you're looking to create an exceptional experience, check out salesrx.com. That's my online retail sales training program. And if you'd like to have me come speak to your group or conference, we'd appreciate that by visiting retaildoc.com, D-O-C.com. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today on the Career Success Podcast. This is part one of a two-part episode with Bob. Please look out for part two, where we will be addressing the topic of recycling and waste management. We'll discuss the role of retailers in this process and what can be done by everyone to create a more sustainable world.